0: Well, Tom is out on vacation today, and uh, so we look forward to returning to our study of 1 John next week when he is back with us. But today, as you know, is New Year's Day. It's the first day of 2023. You know, for thousands of years, mankind has celebrated the passing of one year and the beginning of the next. You know, since 1907, one of the traditions in the United States has been the dropping of the ball in in New York City's Times Square, an event that has marked the passing from one year to the next almost every year since that time. And, you know, the the ball that is dropped has changed some over time. I think it's gone through four different uh, iterations of of what it was. It started as a five-foot ball made of wood and iron with about 100 incandescent light bulbs. Now it is about 12 feet in diameter with 32,000 LED lights as a part of it. So even an event as iconic as, as that is as a reminder how time passes and how things change over time. You know, regardless of how one celebrates the new year, today is a day we both look back on the past year and look forward to the future, to the year to come. You know, for some, this past year was one of much gladness and, and blessing. For others, a year of trials and grief. For some, you look forward to this new year with eager anticipation and hope. Others, perhaps with more dread or fear. For some, this past year dragged on slowly in your mind and, and it finally has, has passed. For others, it's sped by and you can hardly believe that it's gone. You know, regardless, for all, today is a reminder of The passage of time. You know, we all had 365 days last year, and now they are gone. 8,760 hours, 535,600 minutes, and there was no stopping that passage of time, no slowing it down. Time marches on. You know, God intends that we pay attention to the passing of time, When he made the world, he he built in reminders of the passing of time. You know, each day the sun rises and then it sets and the moon rises, a reminder of the passing of each day. He created our planet and solar system with yearly reminders of the passing of time, whether that's the the phases of the moon marking the months or the the changing seasons that recur year after year marking the, the passing of years. You know, that was true even before sin and death entered the world. But now that we live in a fallen world and all face physical death, God intends that we not simply recognize the passing of time, but that we understand and live in light of the fact that we all only have a a brief time in this life. You see, our life, is not like a clock that just keeps running, marking the passing of hour after hour, day after day. It's more like an hourglass with the sand running out and eventually there being no more. We see this idea throughout the Bible. Scripture uses a number of analogies of our life that remind us of this truth. In Job 7 and and elsewhere, we're, we're told that our life is like a breath, so brief and passing and... Job 9.25, it says, our days are swifter than a runner that is fleeing away. Our life is compared to grass or a flower that grows and blossoms and then fades away quickly, or a shadow that appears and then vanishes away. James 4 speaks of our life as a a vapor or a mist, like the, the fog that appears in the morning and then dissipates as the sun rises. Psalm 90 is the, the text that we're going to study together today. I invite you to, to turn there as we focus on this theme. You know Psalm 90 clearly focuses on this reality. We see this, especially in verse 12. This psalm is a prayer, and this is the first petition of this prayer, which says, "So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom." One commentator writes, this phrase reflects the central theme of this psalm, namely an awareness of our human finitude and weakness and the importance of responding properly to that realization. See, the psalm reminds us that our lives are brief and frail, and we will only live them well when we keep that at the forefront of our minds. As you see, psalm 90 says it is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. This is the only psalm that's attributed to Moses. It's obviously a very early psalm. and, And while it doesn't give us a specific context as to when this psalm was written by Moses, it seems from the content that it's clear that it was written during the time of the wilderness wandering. You recall how That generation who was led out of slavery in Egypt had the opportunity to enter the promised land, and yet they failed to trust God, focusing instead on on the the big fortress walls of the cities and the size of the people there, and so they didn't trust God to enter the land. They rebelled against him, and God judged them, And, and in Numbers 14, 29, it says how everyone 20 years and older would die in the wilderness. Perhaps Moses also wrote this psalm after he had struck the rock in Numbers chapter 20 and so was forbidden himself from entering the land as well. So both Moses and and the people had a keen sense of the brevity and fragility of their lives. They were very much aware of the fact that there was a a ticking clock of of their life, that they had a, a clear expiration date that was coming. Now, the reality is we should all have such a sense. We may not be wandering in the wilderness knowing we're going to die in a certain time frame, but we are, are also to be aware of the brevity of life. So Moses, in that circumstance, composed this prayer, this psalm, a prayer for himself and for the people, reflecting on that reality. As we study this psalm on this New Year's Day, let's consider three realities about our brief lives that are highlighted by Moses in this text. Let's begin first with the inevitability of our numbered days. The inevitability of our numbered days. We need to recognize that our days are numbered. You know, if you've read Scripture at all, you know that Scripture is clear that all will die. Hebrews nine twenty seven says, "Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment." Job 14, 1 and two puts it this way: It says, "Man who is born of a woman is short lived and full of turmoil, like a flower he comes forth and withers; he flees like a shadow and does not remain." As one writer puts it, humankind lives under a divine mandate of mortality which no human being can escape. You see, all will die. And all will die at the time God has appointed. Job 14 continues in verse 5 and says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. God has appointed not only the the reality that we will die but the timing and the manner of our death as well. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 27, Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Moses acknowledges this reality of the inevitability of our numbered days, first with the contrast with everlasting God. Notice the first couple of verses of this psalm. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He says, Lord, you have been the dwelling place, the refuge, the the place of protection and provision for all generations. He says God is the constant one, our refuge and help, and he is that for all generations of his people. You know, If you put yourself back in Moses' shoes as he was in the wilderness looking back at God's faithfulness to the previous generations, he may have been reflecting on, on how God called Abraham and, and provided and protected he and his family as, as they were going to the land that God had promised him. Or to Joseph, even when his brothers sold him in slavery, God was a, a refuge to him and ultimately bringing his family into Egypt. To the generations who were enslaved in Egypt, God provided and protected them through that. And even the current generation now, God was caring for them as they, he brought them out of, of slavery, even now in their wilderness wandering. You see, through all those generations... <laughs> that had come and gone, God was the constant. He was the ever-present help and refuge. You see, generations come and go, but God is the refuge of all of them who trust in him. Before, he says, verse 2, the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Moses goes even further back. It's not only from the, the generations of God's people where you've displayed your faithfulness, but even before the creation, you are God. God is eternal. He has always existed and always will. Before the world was formed, before the mountains were shaped from everlasting eternity past into everlasting eternity future, you are God. You see, our existence in this life is brief and fleeting. God is eternal and unchanging. And so Moses highlights the reality of our brief life in contrast to the everlasting God. He moves in the next verses to the certainty of our coming death. We are not eternal and everlasting and unchanging like God. We face a certain death. Verse 3 says, You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood, they fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. It says, God, this sovereign one, this unchanging eternal one is, is sovereign over our death. He says, you turn man back into dust. See, the reality is we will return to the dust. Adam was formed from the dust of the ground and to the dust we will all return. Genesis 3, God said to Adam, by the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Psalm 104, 29 says, You hide your face, they're dismayed, you take away their spirit, they expire and return to their dust. It wasn't just Adam who would go back, it's all of us. Our death is, is certain, we will return to the ground from whence Adam came. Verse 4, God reminds of how our lifespan is but a blip on the radar to God. He says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. For God, he's eternal and so a thousand years to him is as nothing. It's like yesterday passing by or like a few hours of a watch in the night. Our lifespan is but a blip on the radar Psalm 39.5 puts it this way, God, you have made my days as handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. That's us. Compared to God's eternality, our life is brief and ends in death. He gives several analogies of that in in verses 5 and 6. He says, you swept them away like a flood. Picture that that rain coming and the the rushing of water and how quickly it arises and how quickly it sweeps something away. He says, that's us. He says, they fall asleep. Again, a a picture of death, especially for those who are believers who will one day awake into eternal life with the Lord. But like sleep comes, comes quickly, so does the end of our life. Or like grass, verse 5 says, in the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. This is those, those plants in an arid climate where, where there's very little rain and so the morning dew is what causes them to sprout to life, but then the heat of the day they wither and fade As one writer writes, fresh and green in the cool of the morning, but dry, parched and lifeless by the evening, the message of these verses is clear, human life is brief, and then it is gone. Why do our lives certainly end in death? Why such brevity for us? Moses continues with the cause of our brief life, verse 7, why is it that we face that future? Why is it that we will be swept away like a flood, that we will fall asleep, that we will be like grass that withers, verse 7, for we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence for all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. Why are our days numbered? Why are our lives so brief? It's because of our sin. You know, Moses and the generation who had rebelled against God had a a keen awareness of the fact that it was their sin that led to their death in the wilderness. It was God's righteous anger and wrath against them that had led to that reality for them. But for all people, there's a direct connection between sin and death. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, prior to sin, there was no death. But Adam sinned, and so Adam was condemned to die, and through Adam's sin came, we are all sinners, and we all sin, and so we also all die. Now, there's hope because of the work of Christ on the cross, his defeat of death through his resurrection. The sting of death is removed for the believer. We will still physically die, but we will not suffer the eternal spiritual death of God's wrath poured out upon us and separation from him. And our physical death is temporary as as he used even that analogy of sleep. We will one day rise and be raised with Christ. All physically die for all have sinned. But God's wrath against our sin doesn't only lead to death. You know, God's wrath against sin is also the, the cause of much of the futility and trouble of life. The futility that we face, verse 9, he says, for all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh or a whisper. This is a picture not simply of the fact that we will die, that our years are brief, but of the trials and Troubles that we face, even in this life. If you turn back to Genesis three, verse seventeen, we see God giving Adam the results of the curse of sin, and communicating not only the reality that his life will end in death, going back to the dust, but the reality of what his life will be like while he is yet living. And so he says to Adam in in Genesis 3, verse 17, he says, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, the reality is our life is brief, and the life that we do have is filled with trouble and toil and sweat as a result of life in a fallen, sin cursed world. So having highlighted the inevitability of our numbered days through the contrast with everlasting God and the certainty of our coming death and the cause of our brief life, Moses lastly identifies the common length of life in this section. Look at verse 10. He says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. He says, what does this life look like? He says, typically it's 70, maybe 80 years, years characterized by labor and sorrow, and then it is gone and and we fly away. You know, the average life expectancy in the U.S. is is right around there, 77-ish years or so. Certainly, many die younger than that. Some live longer than that. But that's a typical life. A number of years full of labor and sorrow and then it ends. Now again, Scripture is clear for those who are in Christ. We don't fear death. Death is not the end of the story. Because of Christ who died and rose again, defeating death, we too can have the hope of resurrection. We have that hope that death is momentary and the sting has been removed. You know, if you're here today and you are not in Christ, All you have to look forward to is death and eternal punishment, but there is great hope available to you because Jesus has conquered death. But the reality is all of our days on this earth are numbered. All of us are living right now a brief life that will end on this earth. Notice a second reality about our brief lives that Moses highlights, which is the importance of numbering our days. We need to reflect on the fact that our days are numbered. Look at verse 11. He says, Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. He says, who understands the the reality of your anger and fury? Who gives you the the fear, the respect that is due your name? Ultimately, the answer is no one responds to God as they ought in light of these things. And, And so Moses prays and asks the first petition of this prayer that God would teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. What does it mean to number our days? Does it mean that you keep a, a tally sheet every day you wake up and you add another mark to your tally sheet? You know, I think today is my 15,279th day. Is that what it means that you, you go tally that? Don't do it in the rest of this sermon. Um, <laughs> Google will actually do it for you pretty efficiently. Um, is that what we're to do, just to keep a, a number, to always know what day we're on? You know, or is it more of a countdown timer? Should you take the average life expectancy and, and count backwards and, and maybe know how many you have if you live an average life expectancy? No, that's not what he's saying either. Psalm 39.4 puts it this way. It says, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. You see, to number our days means we acknowledge and reflect on the fact that our days are numbered, that our life is brief, we are a vapor here for a while and then vanishing away. It means we don't fear death or frantically fight death. Rather, we accept that fact as a part of life and live in light of that reality and and we carefully consider the days we have and how we will live them before the Lord. It's vital that we number our days, that we learn to number our days. Why? Well, it's clear from this verse that such a perspective does not come naturally to us. In fact, it's a perspective that, that sinful man rebels against and wants to ignore that's why Moses prays, "Teach us to number our days." You know it's interesting that, that that's what he prays, because it's pretty clear that everybody dies, right? I mean, it's a pretty obvious fact, as you live in this world, that death is a part of life, and, and yet it's a reality that sinful man wants to ignore. We don't reflect uh, on the fact that life is brief and then it's gone. Instead, we seek to live as though life will continue forever. Reminded of the, the parable that Jesus told in Luke 12, verses 16 to 20 of the rich man who had very productive land and he was reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns and and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He was living as though his life would just continue indefinitely. God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? That's sinful man, isn't it? Ignoring the reality that his days are numbered, that's that's why unbelievers are generally uncomfortable at funerals, because it's a reminder of the reality that they spend so much of their time trying to escape or avoid. It's why so many frantically seek to extend their life. You know, we don't necessarily go search for the fountain of youth in the jungle anymore, but, but our world is characterized by those seeking to extend their life, to, to overcome the realities of death through extreme fitness or nutrition or, or medical care and technology with hoping in those things. So this thinking doesn't come naturally to us. We must learn to think this way. We must learn to accept and embrace and dwell on these truths. And it's critical that we do so because such a perspective is, is vital to growing in wisdom. He says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may attain a, a heart of wisdom. You see, there's a connection between learning to number your days and attaining wisdom and living out a heart of wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? What do we mean by that? Well, it's, it's applying the truth of God to life it's living in light of who God is and embracing what he has revealed about himself and about life and applying that truth practically in how we live minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Well, how does numbering our days lead to wisdom? Well, this thinking first produces humility which is foundational to wisdom. It produces right thinking about ourselves in relationship to God. When we understand what we've already seen in this psalm, that God is God forever, he is the eternal, unchanging, sovereign one, and we are but dust and a vapor that appears and then vanishes away, it creates in us a humility that is eager to live for him and eager to understand the truth that he has given us for life in this world. That's why Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And why Proverbs 11.2 says, With the humble, there is wisdom. See, these truths humble us, which leads us on the path of wisdom. When we think life is all about ourselves, we will live foolishly. This thinking not only produces humility, but it produces intentionality, in how we live. an uh, intentionality in, in how we approach each day. Turn to Ephesians 5, briefly with me. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul puts it this way in verse, beginning in verse 15, he says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Not careful how you step, don't trip and fall, but Be careful how you walk, how you practice your pattern of life, how you live day after day, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, when we number our days, when we understand the reality of of the limited time that God has given us, The result should be an intentionality in how we live, to be careful how we walk, seeking the Lord's wisdom, not living in folly, but seeking to understand the will of God that He has revealed to us in His Word about how we should live. Not looking for some secret, mysterious, hidden will, but the truth that is revealed that shapes how we live. You see, think of, think of it this way. Think of a, a professional athlete. You know, anybody who, who earns their living in athletics professionally knows their days are numbered. I, I saw a headline this week about um, Terrell Owens, who was a Cowboys receiver a decade or so ago, um, wanting to make a comeback in the NFL. The problem is he's like almost 50, so it's probably not going to happen, right? Because professional athletes have a shelf life. They know their days are numbered limited time for them to, uh, to earn a living in that way. But what, what does that produce in them? Does it produce kind of a laissez-faire attitude? Well, I know I'm not going to do this for very long, so I'm going to eat whatever I want and no big deal. No, it produces a, a discipline and uh, an intentionality to make the most of the opportunity that they have, knowing it is brief. So it should be for us. As I mentioned, today's my 15,279th day. I only have so many days left, and, and so do you. And so we should be eager to make the most of them, not to make the most of them for ourselves, but to make the most of them as God has called us to live in his wisdom. Now, this doesn't mean we live frantic lives of extreme busyness. We understand the limits of our life. We know we're here for a bit and then gone and the world goes on. We want to be intentional in how we live according to the priorities of God, but we aren't frantic in every sense, as busy as possible all the time. God's priorities include rest and time with family, time enjoying the world that God has made But it should be an intentional life of diligence and discipline, following the commands of our Lord and understanding His will, living as God has designed us to live. Now, this is really what gives our lives meaning and purpose is when we live God's way in God's world that He has made. It's important that we learn to number our days. It's important that we reflect on the realities that this psalm lays out before us. Now, the psalm ends back in Psalm 90 with a a, a plea from Moses to the Lord that God would be gracious to the people, that though they are in the wilderness, God would restore to them joy and gladness and, and God's favor in accordance with the affliction they'd received But I want you to see not simply that Moses prays and prays for those things, but how his prayer and his perspective is shaped by the realities he has just expressed. We've seen the inevitability of our numbered days and the importance of numbering our days. Let's notice thirdly the impact of numbering our days. How does it cause us to respond when we live with this perspective? What difference does it make in our lives We've already seen one response in verse 12 that we will live embracing the wisdom of God. When we number our days, we will humble ourselves before God, fearing him, embracing the wisdom he has revealed in his word and intentionally seek to live out that wisdom, making the most of the days that God has given us. Notice a a second response in verse 13, Moses prays, do return, O Lord. How long will it be and be sorry for your servants? We will also long for the return of the Lord if we live with this perspective. Now Moses here when he cries, do return, O Lord, is is not crying out for the physical return of Yahweh, but for the return of his blessing and favor, the, the reconciliation of relationship with his people and for the fulfillment of his promise and bringing them into the land. You'll notice this is the first time that Moses uses the personal name of God, Yahweh, in this psalm. He's referred to him as Lord and God and Master in, in, uh, in acknowledgement of his sovereign rule, but here he refers to him in his personal covenant name, Certainly in times of affliction or discipline, we ought to cry out, as Moses does here, for God to be compassionate and gracious, to restore the relationship that he has with us. But while Moses and the people were looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise and bringing them to the land, we look forward to the yet unfulfilled promises of God concerning his return, even as we've seen in recent weeks in Isaiah. That Christ will come again as a conquering king to rule and to reign forever, even as we've sung this morning. Understanding the brevity and frailty and futility of our life only fuels that longing for his return, doesn't it? To see him and be like him, to see his kingdom established eternally and, and to see the end of the vanity and trouble of life in this fallen world. What is the impact of numbering our days? We will live embracing the wisdom of God and we will long for the return of the Lord. And thirdly, we will rejoice in the steadfast love of God. Notice verse 14 and 15. Moses says, O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. You know, most live for the passing pleasures of this life. They seek satisfaction in the passing pleasures of sin, as Hebrews 11.25 refers to it. Whether that's the pursuit of fun and excitement or of sex or other physical pleasures of wealth and possessions, of power and influence... But those things don't ultimately satisfy. They don't ultimately bring joy and gladness in the ultimate sense. But there is joy and satisfaction available in the midst of our brief lives. Moses reminds us of that when he prays, Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. What is Moses looking for for to fuel his joy and gladness and that of the people? What is he looking for for satisfaction? Is it a different kind of meal than they've had in the wilderness? Is it a change in their circumstance? It is the Lord's loving kindness. And notice it's not even the expressions of his loving kindness. It's not that he says, satisfy us with the good gifts that you will give us because of your loving kindness. It's simply, satisfy us with you, with your loving kindness, so that we will sing for joy and be glad all our days. You know, this is the constant testimony of the Psalms, that joy and gladness, that satisfaction is found only in God himself. Amen. Psalm 1611 says, you will make known to me the path of life, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Psalm 17, 15 says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Psalm 43, 4, I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Psalm 63, 6, Your loving kindness is better than life. (laughs) Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, this is the desire of someone who has numbered their days, who understands life is but a brief vapor that will fade into eternity that the here and now, the life we live is just the, the preface to the novel. It's the pregame show before the, the main event. When we understand that, we, we see the folly of seeking ultimate satisfaction and joy in that which is so temporal and fleeting. And instead, we pursue and, and find that joy in the only unchanging eternal one, the one we were made for, the one in whom there is fullness of joy. The Lord Himself. You see, when you number your days, you will desire to live your days knowing and loving and rejoicing in the one who loved you first in God. Moses cries out, God, satisfy us, make us glad, restore our joy in you. The fourth impact of numbering our days is that we will look for the work and majesty of God. Notice verse 16. Moses says, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Notice Moses doesn't pray that God would work. He doesn't ask God to work. He knows God is working. Instead, what does he ask? He asked that God's work and His majesty might come into view, that they would appear, that they would be visible to His servants, that they might be seen both by the people and by the coming generation, by the children. Again, when we have the perspective that this psalm is exhorting us to, when we recognize and dwell on the brevity and frailty of our lives, it will spur us to desire to clearly see God's work and God's glory. You know, we know our lives often seem futile. We, we wash the dishes. Why? So that we can eat on them again, to wash them again and do it again. You know, we, we drive to work to earn money to buy the gas so that we can drive to work again. You know, that's life, isn't it? But we know that that God is working through those things and God himself is not characterized in any sense by futility. In the midst of our insignificance and the vanity of life in a fallen world, God is at work often through the mundane and that which seems futile to us. He is at work for the good of those who know him. He is at work for the sake of his own glory. And we should want to see his work and character on display and to praise him for it. When we number our days and and we're keenly aware of the brevity of life, it should motivate us to have eyes to see what God is doing around us in the midst of those things. We want to see it and we want others to see it and to see God's character on display, to make it known to their children. You see, rather than living for our own legacy, for people to remember our work and and to give us glory, to remember our greatness, we live for God's glory instead. We want them to recognize and remember His work and His glory on display. We number our days, we will look for the work of God. We'll be eager to see it, to participate in that work. And finally, we will strive for that which endures. We will strive for that which endures. Notice verse 17. He says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Moses prays that God would display favor and that he would cause the, the efforts of this life to endure. You know, when we number our days, we understand our lives are brief and frail, and, and so we recognize that most of what we strive for is temporary at best. It doesn't mean it's worthless and that we shouldn't do it. It's just that we recognize it won't ultimately last. You know, just because my car will eventually die doesn't mean I shouldn't wash it or take care of it or because my house will eventually crumble that I shouldn't paint it or, or maintain it. Now, there's much that we enjoy in this life and, and much that God has given us to do that is nonetheless temporary. And you see, the, the numbering of our days helps us to recognize that and to do these things in, in a way that is ultimately for His glory but it also helps us to identify those things that will, in fact, last and endure. You see, Moses, as he's praying, he's aware of and instructing the people not only to ask God to to, uh, cause their work to endure by His grace, but to spend their time pursuing the things that God says He will bless and that will last. So he prays that God would confirm or establish the work of their hands. Again, this is not like when you go to a cheesecake factory or somewhere for dessert and you get this yummy, delicious dessert that's 1,400 calories or something and you pray, God bless this food to our body. And you know and your kids know and God's know it's not happening, but you ask it anyway. Like that's not what Moses is doing here. He's not saying we're spending our life doing all kinds of worthless things, but God, you bless it and you cause it to endure. No, he recognizes that it's only the favor of the Lord that causes our efforts on this earth to endure. It's not our effort and work that makes that happen. It's God's grace. But there are those things which God has called us to that he says he will bless and, and that will bear fruit ultimately beyond this life and into eternity those things that are done unto him and 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 those things that are centered around that which lasts through eternity what is it that lasts from this life well it's it's things like god's word that endures forever it's the people that god brings into our life that will last and so if we want god to confirm for us the work of our hands, to cause those things to endure, to have lasting impact, we need to focus on those things that he says will matter into eternity. Moses in the book of Deuteronomy spent extensive time teaching the new generation who would go into the promised land many of the same things he'd been teaching the generation who would die off in the wilderness and And he instructed them time and time again, and we've seen it even in in verse 16 with the focus on the children of the importance of devoting ourselves to God's word and to the passing on of that truth about God to the next generation, and even as we read in Psalm 96, to the nations. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says, These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and talk of them when you sit in the house, and walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You want your work to endure? Pray that God would be gracious in that way, and, and be busy about those things which God says are a priority. You knowing God and loving Him, knowing His Word, and And allowing that to shape your life and then being intentional to pass that truth along to others. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's the all these things. Well, it's all the temporal things of life. The things that are, are part of life in this world but aren't to be our consuming Focus. We seek first His kingdom and righteousness, even in the midst of the temporal realities of life. So, beloved, today we mark the passing of another year. A reminder of the, the passing of time, but not just the passing of time. The, the reminder that our lives are brief. You and I don't know how many more years we will have, but we know eventually it will end. May we number our days reflecting on the brevity and frailty of our lives and carefully and intentionally evaluate how we will use the limited time we have left so that we will live in embracing the wisdom of God, the truth in his word. Let that shape the priorities of our life and how we live out the details of life. May we long for the return of the Lord, for Christ to come back and to Establish his rule and reign. May we rejoice in the steadfast love of God, not in all the things in this world that are appealing to us and that we can be tempted to pursue joy and satisfaction in, but may we pursue that in him alone. And may we look for the work and the majesty of God, seeing how God is accomplishing his purposes and plans, even in the midst of the challenges of life. And may we strive for that which endures. May what we do this next year last beyond 2023 by the grace of God as we pursue the priorities that he has given us. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of this psalm. We thank you for the powerful reminder that you alone are God, that you are the eternal, everlasting, sovereign one who rules and reigns over all. And Lord, in contrast to you, we are so uh, feeble and frail. We are utterly dependent on you, our refuge, and, and our lives are but a brief vapor, Lord, help us to reflect on that reality, not only this morning, but throughout each day and this next year, may we live in light of that truth. Lord, give us joy in knowing you. Give us joy in living out the priorities that you have called us to. Help us to pursue the things that will last and not to be enthralled in the trappings of this world. Lord, do this not for our sake, not so that our lives are filled with joy and meaning and purpose, but do it ultimately for the sake of your glory so that your name is known. We love you and thank you. We entrust this, the rest of this day and this year to you in Christ's name. Amen.